You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 18th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Film news writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. Happy Monday. How's it going? It's going good. Uh, had a lovely weekend working, editing. <laughs> uh, d- didn't really get to go outside or have any uh, fun. But, okay, let's get into the news. A lot of people went to the, the movies this weekend. And, uh, Ryan, you have this uh, right up on the site going through this weekend's box office. You, you know, every Monday we like to talk about it here. Uh, who was there a big winner this weekend? Uh, I would argue that there were a lot of winners this weekend. Um, uh, now there was, of course, the winner, which was Thor Love and Thunder, which uh, in its second weekend made $46 million, more than enough to top the box office. But uh, it dropped 68.1% from its $144 million opening last weekend. Uh, and this is kind of becoming a trend with the MCU we're seeing in phase four theatrically. So, you know, I mean, this is still a couple of million shy from 500 million worldwide by no means a loser for Marvel or Disney, but these drops are becoming more frequent and sizable, like approaching 70% on its second weekend, which is huge. Yeah. You called this a near record drop in your write up. 
I'm wondering, do you think this is a Marvel problem or do you think this is just a problem with making movies that fans are not excited to see a second time? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, again, I, I hesitate to label these things as like single issue problems. Um, I think it's very clear that Thor love and thunder does not have the same buzz behind it that Ragnarok did in terms of good word of mouth and stuff. Um, I think that's why you saw a bigger opening weekend than Ragnarok. Cause there was excitement based on how good that last Thor film was, but you know, then clearly the second weekend indicates, well, maybe people didn't love it as much as that last one. Um, I think, I think generally speaking, maybe anecdotally speaking, phase four has not excited people in the way that a lot of phase two and phase three did. Uh, people are still clearly liking these movies, but maybe not on that same level. So I think that plays into it as well. Plus there's quite a bit of competition. That is also a factor. You know, to, not to bring in something that's not box office related, but I was recently listening to the film cast. They used to be the Slash film cast, and they were having a discussion about Phase 4 and how it doesn't seem like we're building up to anything. Like, you know, Phase 1 was us building up to the Avengers finally coming together to uh, fight a threat. Phase 2... I don't know. I'm not sure what phase two is, but phase three was definitely about them all coming together uh, to, you know, Thanos trying to get the infinity uh, uh, gems and then us having, you know, all building up to the infinity war. Phase four seems a little bit more nebulous. It's very hard to figure out what is going on here. I, I argue that, I think a lot of these movies are setting up things that we don't see or that most audiences don't see coming. So uh, we're seeing the setup of a lot of these young Avengers. So we're America Chavez, Miss Marvel, you know, they're being introduced in almost every other, you know, the new Hawkeye, every other Bishop. Yep. Yep. Yeah, every every other TV project or movie is introducing another one of these young Avengers, which I think is going to, you know, they're eventually going to build up to them coming together as young Avengers, which I'm not sure is as exciting as, you know, phase one with those heroes coming together as the Avengers. Uh, and then also, I think we've talked about uh, on this podcast how everything's kind of leading up to like uh, Secret Invasion, Secret War with, you know, there's some Kree stuff going on. There's a... Uh, you know, who knows what, but what do you think, Ryan? Like, do you think, well, first of all, I have two questions for you. Number one, do you think that they, like, there is less like of a cohesive narrative being built with phase four? And number two, do you think that's a, a, a problem? Uh, so I think that currently it would be hard to peg what they're building to. I would wager Marvel definitely is building to something. Um, but I also don't know how big of a problem that is. I think phase one, yes, you were clearly building two Avengers phase two, less of that. And phase three, most definitely straight up leading to infinity war and Endgame. But, but I think that the idea that, you know, even when you knew they were building to something bigger, the vast majority of those movies stood very much on their own two feet with little glimmers of, you know, this is kind of what we're getting to. I mean, Captain America, the Winter Soldier did nothing to build to any of the bigger events for the most part. 
unless you count Civil War as a big event. And then like, you know, but that is still regarded as one of the best movies in the MCU. So I don't know. I, um, I don't necessarily know that it would be a problem if people were responding to the movies individually better, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the big complaints about the, you know, the first three phases in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like, those movies are not standalone movies. It's like a TV series. It's all like connected. And now with phase four, and they said this on the film cast, so I'm kind of uh, uh, stealing off their crib sheet here, um, that with phase four, it's more single stories that don't feel as much connected to the greater Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. And I'm wondering, does that – does that in the fans' eyes, does that make them feel less canon? Does it make them feel like less important? Because when I see this film, it's not pushing towards something greater. Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, this is all anecdotal because like, you know, you'd have to there's not like a way to like survey that, yeah. I guess. But but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Maybe that's it. But again, I do just think generally speaking that like if people liked Love and Thunder as much as they liked Ragnarok, yeah. that second weekend drop probably wouldn't have been as bad. I think if people liked Multiverse of Madness as much as they liked No Way Home, that second week drop wouldn't have been as bad. Black Widow's kind of the outlier here because I think the response to that movie, one, wasn't as great as Marvel had hoped, and two, it was also on VOD and the pandemic was still a little raging harder, so... You know, that's kind of the outlier. And Eternals was always a gamble. So I'm still I don't necessarily count that 400 million worldwide as a terrible thing, especially given the bad reviews for that movie. So I don't know. Uh, Shang-Chi's the one that you look at and you go, this was the one that was really firing on all cylinders this phase for sure. Yeah. But it's it's a little complicated for sure. And No Way Home, if we count that. I think we count that. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Sorry, No Way Home almost goes without saying at this point that if you get to $2 billion <laughs> worldwide, you are in a different league entirely. Yeah, that was like MCU's Maverick. Um, okay, let's uh, let's talk about what else was at the box office this weekend. So Thor still was number one, but it did have a near record drop. What else was there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, just going down the list here real quick, Minions Rise of Gru came in at number two with another $26 million. It is already over $500 million worldwide in its third weekend. Could get to a billion, but regardless, it's doing extremely well given its budget. It could not make another dime and be fine. Uh, one of the bigger surprises of the weekend was a movie we've talked about a little bit, which is where the crawdads sing. And that did $17 million in the three spot. Uh, and against a reported $24 million budget, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, th there's been a little bit of like fluctuation I've seen in the budget estimates for that. But regardless, this overperformed what it was expected to do. Uh, so critics don't seem to love it. General moviegoers seem to be more into it. Pretty good little hit for Sony, it might turn out to be. Um, holds were good across the board from there. Top Gun Maverick came in at number four, dropping only another 22%. Another 12 million, 1.2 billion worldwide. Elvis Jeez. rounded out the top five with, yep, I know. Elvis rounded out the top five with 7.6 million. It is now uh, well over 100 domestic, uh, doing very well. Only real loser this weekend was Pause of Fury, which was originally supposed to come out in 2017. Switch Studios only made 6.2 million. It's really the only loser for Paramount this whole year, so. 
you know, even looking at Black Black Phone and Jurassic World Dominion, both of those hit VOD. Black Phone did 5.3 million. Jurassic World did 4.9 million. Jurassic World is now over 900 million worldwide. Black Phone's at 114. All good news there. Wow, I didn't know that Pause of Fury was supposed to come out five years ago. Yeah, what, what was the story behind that? What, what happened? As I understand it, the production just got a little messy. It switched. I believe Universal had it. And then it went to uh, Paramount. Nickelodeon was involved. Different filmmakers got involved. I haven't done a deep dive into this, but yeah, it was just one of those messy, changing hands, delayed, pandemic, blah, blah, blah. You know, so 2017 turned into 2020, turned into 2022. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I'm sure Paramount's just happy to have off their books at this point. Yeah. Well, at, at this point, the money's already been spent many years ago, except for the marketing budget. So I guess it's not that bad. Well, right. And it has an A minus cinema score and it, it doesn't seem like they spent a ton on marketing. So if this can limp to whatever it can limp to worldwide, you then throw it on Paramount Plus and maybe it finds some, you know, VOD money or whatever. I find it hard to believe this is going to lose a ton of money. Uh, and considering you've had this movie sitting that long, we've seen much worse from that sort of thing. So, How is Elvis doing? Uh, Elvis is doing way better than I think many of us might have expected. Um, uh, Elvis is currently at 170.4 million worldwide with 106 domestic. Um, wow. yeah, it's got a, I think it's budget is about at 85 million, but that is still really good for a movie that is holding well week to week and will probably be in the Oscar conversation. So you're looking at probably 200 million worldwide. So, I mean, that's pretty good for that kind of movie. I think that's, I think that's damn, I think that's damn good. And that's encouraging. Okay. Uh, looking forward to this week. What is coming out is no, is this week the week of Nope. This week is the week of Nope. Uh, Jordan Pill gets his third crack at bat as a director. Um, figures to easily top the box office, given how big the drops have been with Thor. So, you know, it's really just a matter of how well it sits between Get Out and Us. Because I don't think it's going to be able to get to that $72 million that Us got. But I think, you know, it's going to do well. So it's really just a matter of, I think reviews are going to be huge for this. Uh, and we'll see how the general movie goer word of mouth is, but I, yeah, I see that as our easy number one for the weekend. Yeah. And nothing, nothing else really comes. I mean, there's a bunch of like really limited releases, but nothing, is there anything worth mentioning other than Nope? No. Well, the only thing is a 24 has been expanding where the crawdads sing or not where the crawdads sing. I'm sorry. Uh, Marcel, the shell with the shoes on, and that's been doing oh, yeah. well in its platform release. So I, I expect that will expand a little more. And, you know, that's kind of a critical darling at this point. And I, and I would like to see that do well as it continues to expand. So that's something to kind of look out for. Yeah, I have, I have not seen that yet. But judging by the trailer, it seems like something I would absolutely love. So uh, if, it, if it's in more theaters, that means there's more of a chance of me seeing it. So I'm happy about that. Uh, but we mentioned, you know, Top Gun Maverick that has been... <laughs> <laughs> the 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 huge success of this year that we weren't expecting it to be and uh there's been recently some reports that it has overtaken titanic at the box office but that might not actually be the case 
Yeah, this gets this gets tricky. This one actually threw me the other day when we were talking about this on Friday. Um, uh, one of our guys, uh, Mike, that works for us, he threw this in the news channel and was like, hey, so Top Gun Maverick overtook Titanic. And I was like, and, and the report said worldwide. And I was like, wait, what? And because it did technically overtake Titanic's original release domestically, but uh, so, all right, so let's, let's just go over why this is complicated. Here are the raw numbers. Top Gun Maverick is just over 1.2 billion worldwide with 617 or about, let's say 618 domestic now and uh, approaching 600 internationally. Titanic, 2.2 billion worldwide with 660 domestic, just about, and one point, a little over 1.5 international, but that's all time. Now, what you're looking at with Titanic is it has been re-released several times. So what people are saying and what the report, what the reporting is, is indicating is that Top Gun Maverick is now Paramount's highest grossing movie ever in its original release. Uh, it is worth pointing out that Titanic has had several re-releases where the 2012 3d re-release added 50, just about 58 million domestic and almost $300 internationally. So that is a gigantic windfall of cash for that one. It was also re-released again in 2017. Uh, you know, it, it, it's so it, it, it's, it's, it's been, it's made a lot of money outside of its original release. Um, so that's kind of, so it is by no means close to overtaking Titanic overall, but original release dollars, that's where it's at. I mean, to be fair though, Top Gun Maverick is the type of movie that could get a re-release and how far does it have to go to overtake the Titanic re-releases, I guess is the big question. Are you asking how far it would have to get to overtake Titanic like overall? Yes. Because it's never going to get there. It's never going to get there. Like <laughs> Titanic is Titanic is 2.2 billion worldwide. Top Gun is 1.2 billion. It would need another billion dollars somehow. So there's just no way. Um, it's just not going to happen. So I, so I personally fall into the camp of, I personally fall into the camp of believing that those reports of Top Gun Maverick being Paramount's top grossing movie are, are very misleading because Titan. And now the other thing to consider also, this is complicated, but um, Titanic was distributed internationally by Fox, not Paramount. So, those international dollars go to go to Fox technically, whereas, or at least that original international release went to Fox. Now, so that two point two billion dollar total, Top Gun has not overtaken that two point two billion dollar total, and it never will. But in terms of Paramount Pictures and what money they have seen, Top Gun Maverick is their biggest movie. Yes, purely. So it, that's why it's complicated. That's another factor that's pretty important to remember. Yeah, the other factor that you might want to remember is also this movie was released in 1997 when movie tickets had an average of $4.59 each. And I think last time I checked, we're like nearing $10 for the the national, the domestic average. So it's almost double what it was back then. So Yeah, inflation changes 
everything. Like, like yes, Avatar <laughs> is the highest grossing movie of all time, but if you account for inflation, I still think it isn't Gone with the Wind still the highest grossing movie of all time. Yes. Like, so, so, so what you're talking about is essentially raw ticket sales versus box office, and that's a whole other thing. And sometimes I think inflation is is a useful indicator, but also the the marketplace has changed so much. You know, where we have thousands of screens now, where back when Gone with the Wind was playing, there was, you know, so it's complicated in that way. And there wasn't as many movies and, you know, so yeah. it gets tricky. But I know it's the movie business and, you know, obviously we report on that business all the time, but I kind of wish that the box office was more like if we looked at it in ticket sales numbers. Like I wish they were we We just had like there's this many people went to see Titanic. This many people went to see, you know, paid to see Gone with the Wind. Like, I feel like that would make things a lot more uh, easy for us to judge it on a historical field. Yeah. And I, and again, I think I think that that would be a fair indicator in some ways. But again, I think that marketplace conditions and the industry and, you know, because also like you look at when Gone with the Wind came out, people couldn't watch it at home. People couldn't. TV, there was there. There wasn't much for TV. Radio wasn't even as good as it was. I mean, there, the video games weren't a thing, so there just wasn't as much to do. So, Gone with the Wind was like the the only thing you know around. So the fact that to me, like something like Top Gun Mavericks may, makes one point two billion in a world where there is so much to do, you know that. So, so I think that you're right. The ticket sales <laughs> indicator would be interesting, but you know that doesn't take cultural context into account. Yeah, and, and back when Gone with the Wind was in theaters, there was no way to see things outside of the movie theater. You know, there wasn't TV viewings, there wasn't home video, there wasn't on demand. There, like, you know, it, it's how do you, you know? It's not just the distractions that you're mentioning. It's like you could only see that movie if it was on the big screen. And I, I feel like nowadays a lot of people just wait for things to be, be at home, you know, they're, they're not going to stay in. It has to be a big event for people to go to the movie theaters. And actually that, that brings us to the next story I wanted to talk about today. Uh, basically one of the directors of Avengers Endgame, Joe Russo uh, is sick of the theatrical versus streaming, what he's calling a culture war. I'll, I'll read the quote here. Of course um, the Russo brothers have, uh, that film out on Netflix right now, The Gray Man, and speaking with The Hollywood Reporter about their take on the theatrical experience, uh, this is what was said by Anthony Russo. He said, uh, what has always excited us the most is how do you move it forward? Uh, he noted that he, he and his brother have a philosophy about, quote, not being precious about theatrical distribution. Uh, the Russo said that the pair are most interested in reaching audiences that haven't been engaged before, unquote. In the case of, uh, you know, the gray man, the path to engaging viewers is coming via hybrid release model involving some limited theatrical followed by Netflix debut one week later. And okay. So Joe Russo now says, here's the quote that I think is getting a little controversial. 
quote, it's not anybody's place to reject the next generation's ideas. We're in crisis right now because everyone's at war with each other. It's sad to see as guys who grew up loving film, a thing to remember too is it's an elitist notion to be able to go to a theater. It's very effing expensive. So this idea that was created that we hang on to that the the theater is a sacred space is always well, says bullshit. Uh, and, and it rejects the idea of allowing everyone in under the tent. So, uh, I mean, it, it makes sense that the Russo brothers would be making this push for digital, especially when they, you know, they have this deal with Netflix and they're making movies for Netflix. Uh, but Ryan, what, what do you think of this? Like, is it, Elitist, is there a cultural war here? Like, is um, oh god, I don't know. This this debate is already exhausting me, and we're we're not even close to done with it yet. My thing is, I we've talked about it a lot. I value and cherish the theatrical experience a lot as a moviegoer. Um, I would rather see something like The Gray Man in a movie theater. That is my personal preference. Um, I do not believe that it is elitist. Uh, I I don't. Um, we now have the option to see things at home sooner than ever before. Uh, the black phone was in theaters for like three weeks and you can now get that on VOD on Amazon from the comfort of your home. Jurassic world dominion five weeks after it was the number one movie in the world now available from the comfort of your couch. That was unthinkable before we were just talking about a movie. Movies used to play in theaters for like a year before they would ever hit home video. So I don't know. I just think it's a consumer thing where people have an expectation. Um, I think especially when you're talking about a gigantic budget movie, the business of it doesn't make sense unless you have a revenue stream. And we're finding that as the box office is recovering, the most logical revenue stream for most big movies is a robust theatrical release followed by like downstream revenues. I want movies to continue to be able to be viable as something that I will be able to see for the rest of my life. That requires money. Um, So no, I don't know if there's an elitism thing to it. I think that it's a bit of a more nuanced conversation and I don't really like how it's become like a versus thing when that's not really not the case. Yeah. It just seems a bit weird coming from the Russo, one of the Russo's brothers, because you know, eventually they're going to go back to Marvel and being doing like secret wars or whatever. And that that's not, that's definitely not going to be available at home the first weekend that comes out. And I don't know. It, it just seems a little. Listen, I I am I am a person that loves the theatrical experience. I've enjoyed the last couple of years being able to see stuff at home earlier and earlier, and sometimes day and date. I love the choice as a consumer. I feel like choice is, uh, you know, the biggest value there. It's not like one or the other. It's choice. I think some people are always going to go to the theater to see something, even when there is the choice. Uh, but I also with these big budget, uh, fil- you know, huge films, you c- you can't really give the choice to watch it at home at the same time, or you're going to lose out on a lot of money. I think it's always situational, but I think in the situation you're describing, you you might be. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, it, it, but I don't know, day and date, like, I think, like, I think, like, if you look at, because originally, like, Paramount wanted, a, a like, a 45-day theatrical window for Top Gun, then they wanted it on Paramount+. Plus. I think we're seeing the value of if there's a movie people really want to see, you don't throw it on streaming right away. 
you know, I think Elvis is proving that's pretty good idea too. I don't know. I think stuff like that is, um, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and I go back to the idea that Netflix really needs new revenue streams. And I think something like the gray man makes a lot more sense. If you can at least get some box office out of it, one man's opinion. I wonder if the future of theatrical distribution is going to be not like a wind, like a specific day window of how many days this movie is going to be in theaters or when this movie is going to hit VOD or on demand or whatever you want to call it. I wonder if the future of theatrical is we're going to let the market decide. And by that, I mean, you know, maybe a studio agreeing with, uh exhibitors like you know if this movie goes below a certain amount of money on a weekend at the box office then we have the right to put it uh the next week on vod or something like that if i'm not mistaken those deals are already in place like that's oh, are they? where um there there are there are provisions i believe that like st- studios have made with like amc or whatever that like allow for like okay if it just like flops and dips out you know we're not going to make you hold it on your screens and then we can, you know, we can do some sort of VOD. I believe that those provisions are already in the newer contracts with the studios. Um, I'm not sure of the exact timetables and, and money frame on that, but I believe, I believe there are already existing uh, uh, stipulations and contracts for that sort of thing now. Yeah. I think that would be very smart because that allows with something like Top Gun Maverick to never announce <laughs> when it's going to be on digital and just let it keep on flying if it's flying. But if it, you know, goes b- below the horizon then be like, Oh, we're next week. VOD, you can watch it at home. Well, right. And I think that's what happened with the black phone is because I saw C Robert Cargill, the screenwriter of that on Twitter. Someone asked like, why is it already coming out on VOD? It's making a ton of money. And we saw this weekend, it made over $5 million, even though it's on VOD. Uh, and Cargill said they had pre-negotiated the VOD release, uh, before like the release date got delayed so you know like it, the, I, there was something in the contract there that you know it, it essentially there there it, it seemed that their hands were somewhat tied on yeah. that but regardless it still seems to be making a ton of money so like you know it's not like anyone's crying about it um but yeah so sometimes though so i think i think universal probably would have held black phone a little longer were, were it not for that whatever that pre-negotiated contract was and I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Ryan, do you want to plug your uh, weekly box office editorial? I think this week it was about uh, yeah, Batman. Yeah, we talked about it before. Uh, yeah, so I, I think we uh, I think we talk about it quite a bit, but um, but uh, yeah, I do a every Saturday I publish a column called Tales from the Box Office, and essentially what it is, I, I it's either tied to a relevant anniversary of something or something that's going on, you know, at the box office that weekend. So this weekend, for example, uh, the I did The Dark Knight Rises for its tenth anniversary, which is this week here in a day or two, I believe, um, and I essentially sort of not just break down the numbers, but sort of whatever historical significance exists uh, within that movie in the modern context. And in the case of The Dark Knight Rises, how Nolan's trilogy was concluding in 2012 at the time when Zack Snyder was filming Man of Steel, which was meant to begin their cinematic universe and sort of the interesting converging journeys of DC's biggest movie ever up to that point, serving as an ending when really what they needed was beginning to compete with Marvel. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, so that's something that you can look for every Saturday. If you enjoy my 
uh, musings about the box office. Yeah, and that one was also uh, drastically hurt by that shooter situation, uh, which I, I wonder. The Aurora I, I really, shooting. And- yeah, I really wonder what that movie would have done if that hadn't happened. Well, I mean, it was still at that point DC's highest grossing movie ever. And, and so I don't know that the sh- that I mean, that to me was like a land, a watershed moment because I was at the midnight screening with my little brother in Arizona and he's 10 years younger than me. So at the time he was only like 14. And so I just remember walking out of there thinking like that could have been anywhere. And that was like an awful thing. And but but um, yeah, I don't know. I think that maybe hurt it a bit, but. I hate to trivialize something like that. And I, I don't yeah. know it, but, but um, yeah, to me, the more interesting narrative in the modern context is, you know, sort of the DC brand and that odd moment of, you know, well, we're going to end our biggest thing right now. And then we're going to announce a brand new Batman nine months from now, or whatever <laughs> it was, you know, so yeah. that was kind of wild. For sure. Okay. You can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your uh, your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.